Welcome to The Link Church. We pray this week's message inspires you to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. So Pastor Heinrich and, and Kathleen are finally with us full time. Amen. They have, they have deserted all other options on planet Earth and decided that The Link Church is where they want to uh, be part of. They want to be part of the team. They want to impact us. They want to teach us. They want to come on team and, and, and be those pastors who know more than all of us about the Bible and just impart and teach. And I'm so excited. I am so excited. I just wanted to announce it early. Uh, I think you had to stop me probably a number of times, but yeah. And uh, I think it's just because I was just so excited. And so uh, we're super glad that you're here. I'm really excited about the next season. I can't wait to find out what's next. Amen. And so welcome to the Link Church. Amen. Come on, as they make his, as Pastor Heinrich makes his way up, come on, let's just give him a hand. Get ready for the word. Amen. He's fine. He's got it. He's gone shopping. Hi, church. It's so exciting to be back for session number two of this series. So as I was praying this week for this meeting and the church, I felt God gave me this scripture for specifically for the Link Church. So I'm going to share it with you. Isaiah 59 verse 21. It says, as for me, this is my covenant with you, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you, and my words that I have placed in your mouth shall not move from you. It shall not move from your seed and from the mouth of your seed. Seed, says the Lord, from now to eternity. Amen. So I just want to encourage a few people. I, as, as I was praying, I just felt God was really speaking and encouraging people. And uh, Pastor Andrew, I've got a word for you. <laughs> this is what, what I felt the Lord is saying, that the Lord's saying, my spirit that's upon you and my words, words that are in your mouth will never depart from you. He's got a powerful anointing on you to speak life-giving words. And those life-giving words is giving life and it's giving meaning to people. It's transforming lives as you speak. And God is saying that this promise, that my spirit and my word will never depart from you, is a guarantee. And it, it counteracts any negative words that were spoken over you in the past, the present, and the future. Amen. I've got a word for Joe as well. Is she here? There we go. <laughs> Joe... Um, Jesus is the solid rock on which you stand, and I see you as this unshakable, unstoppable person, and your strength is in God. He is, he is protecting you. Actually, the enemy is fearing the name of the Lord that's inside of you. If the enemy comes against you, the Spirit of God will come against the enemy. You are so safe and secure in His hands. It's, un, it's just incredible. And Shane, I've got a word for you. Um, the, the Lord says, my spirit is upon you. You should listen to his, his, his quiet, still voice. 
God's giving you a, a gift to clearly hear the word of, of the Lord. So I want to encourage you to take time and spend time to, to listen to that still voice of the Lord. Because you will clearly hear it. Amen. Let's just pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your spirit that's upon us. We want to bless you, Father, because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all the good gifts come from you. And we pray, Father, that you will bless this word that's coming from me tonight, through me. And I pray, Father, that you will just bless your word. Thank you that we can engage with your word. It's such a blessing, and we praise your name for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I just want to quickly recap on what we spoke about last week. So we mentioned that a covenant is uh, an agreement between two parties. It's, based, uh, it's, it's uh, sort of based on three principles. Um, mishpat, tzedek, and chesed, those Hebrew words. Mishpat is what you do for the other, other party as you would like them to do to you. Then tzedek is giving but not just giving because you feel sorry for that person, because you are sincerely giving what God's put on your heart to give um, because you believe that is justice, it's righteousness, not just charity. And then the other one was chesed, which is the love of God that propels us to love and to come up for the other person or other party uh, with everything we've got. And nothing comes in our way. Then we've, we discussed two revolu Bible revolutionary thoughts. The first one was that God lifts us up to his standard. And he makes this covenant, this incredible covenant with us. Nowhere in any other religion do you, can you find anything like that. The second revolutionary thought was that relationship is not based on power, but on covenantal love and loyalty and faithfulness. And then we discussed marriage is a metaphor for the covenant and that the Torah is our ketubah, our love, love contract. Right, so who of you know how many covenants there are in the Bible? <laughs> Can we give him a hint? <laughs> Where's the next one? There's eight. So there's like... Seven before you get the new covenant. So seven is a perfect number. Eight take us beyond perfect. It's so good. So I'm going to just discuss. There's, there's the Edemic one, the, uh, the one with Adam, then Noah, then Abram. We're not, we don't have time to go through all of them. But I'm going to go with the fifth one, which is the Mosaic one, the, the, one, uh, the covenant uh, with the whole nation of Israel at, the, at Mount Sinai. We're going to discuss that. And then, of course, the new covenant, those two. So the Mosaic covenant is actually what, what's referred to in the New Testament as the old covenant, that one. The others are permanent covenants. They, they don't change, but the Mosaic one, the Old Covenant is actually a temporary one. So, just want to read you this verse. So, if we go to Exodus 24, verse 7 and 8. Moses took the scroll of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. 
Now, we said the covenant scroll was the ketubah. So he was reading the, the love contract of God, the Torah. He was reading it to the people. And they all said, all that Adonai has spoken, we will do and obey. It's like a marriage, a wedding where, where the, the bride and bridegroom says, yes, I do. And then Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which Adonai has cut with you in agreement with all these words. Then in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, um, there's a promise that God's giving. He says, I will raise up a prophet like Moses from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. This is a messianic promise. And then if we fast forward to Matthew 26, we come, we hear the, the words of this prophet that's like Moses. And he brings another covenant, the new covenant. Listen to this. Matthew 26, verse 26 to 28. Now, while they were eating, Yeshua, Jesus, that's just his Hebrew name, he took matzah, which is unleavened bread, and after he offered the bracha, I'm going to throw some Hebrew words into tonight. Is that okay? <laughs> bracha means blessing, right? So after he said the blessing, he broke the bread and gave to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and after he gave the blessing, another blessing, he said we should give thanks in everything we do. And he gave it to them and, and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the removal of sin. Now that's incredible. I mean, who is this person who can make such a profound statement? And what is this covenant that he's on about? Now we've got to understand these questions because the covenant is the essence of our divine human relationship. Everything in our relationship with God is based on covenant. Now, we're going to take a journey and look at the life of Jesus as he is where he was. And we're going to sort of reconnect and discover our, the richness of our um, roots, our Jewish roots of our faith. This is going to be interesting. So let's look at the person of, of Jesus, of Yeshua. So we're going to look at him in his, his culture in, his, um, in the land where he was, to understand him better. We know that the religion of, of Jesus, or Yeshua, as he was called, Yeshua, by the way, it means salvation. Um, so we know that his religion was not Christianity, right? His religion was Judaism. Now, not, Judaism is not just a religion. It's actually a way of life. A way of life that aligns with the Bible. So we can call it biblical Judaism. Today there's many different types of Judaism. But we're going to focus not on you know, Orthodox or Ultra-Orthodox or any of those. We're going to focus on the Judaism of Jesus. So we're going to look at His Judaism. Right, so let's look at what Jesus did. Now I want to make it clear that I'm not trying to be Jewish. I'm not. I'm a Gentile. But I'm grafted into the olive tree, which is Israel. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, so 
Jesus was born to devout Jewish parents. They were very Torah observant. And you're going to see this through the scriptures in a minute. He was born in Bethlehem, the, the house of bread. That's what it means. Bethlehem, Bethlehem in Judea. And he was from the bloodline of King David, as was prophesied. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Do you know why? Because it says so in the Torah. And I read it for you. Circumcision is a sign. This is Genesis 17 verse 11. Circumcision is a sign of the everlasting covenant between God and Abram and all his descendants. So this was the sign that Jesus had on his body that he is in a covenant with God. So I want to ask this question. What, what is your sign, your proof that you are in covenant with God? It should be circumcision of the heart. I had a few men worried there for a second. <laughs> now, like Yeshua, we should be carrying with us the sign of the covenant. Wherever we go, it should be clear. It should be obvious to everyone that when you walk into the room, there's something different. There's a new heart here. There's a circumcised heart. This guy's different. So... Our hearts need to be circumcised. We need a new heart. And only, only Yeshua, Jesus, can do that for us. Let's look at Luke 2, verse 21. We're going to have a look at the parents of Yeshua. When eight days had passed from his Brit Milah, that's his circumcision, he was named Yeshua. That's the naming ceremony. And even today, uh, after the circumcision, there's a naming ceremony. They still do it. Can you believe it? 2,000 years ago, they, was, they were doing it. They still do it. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of his purification, of their purification, were fulfilled according to the Torah of Moses. I'm going to just, just take note how many times it says that they do something according to the Torah of Moses. In the English Bible, it's a, trans, a normal translation. It's translated as the law of Moses. So... They say, uh, and when the days of their purification were fulfilled according to the Torah of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to Adonai. As it was written in the Torah of Adonai, first, every firstborn male that opened the womb shall be called holy to Adonai. So they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the Torah of Adonai, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. When Joseph and Miriam, Miriam is the word for Mary, the Hebrew word for Mary, uh, when they had completed everything according to the Torah of Adonai. I love it how they say, they were looking at every detail of the Torah. Uh, they completed everything. They returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth, which is Nazareth. The, a Torah observant home and upbringing was a normal everyday occurrence for a Jew that lived in Galilee. Um, this was part of their covenant with God. So um, that's just the way they live in obedience according to the Torah. Luke 4 verse 16 said, And Yeshua, that he obviously grew up a little bit now, and he said, He came to Nazareth where he had been raised. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue on Shabbat, and he 
he got up to read. So he was obviously celebrating Sabbath. He, he celebrated all the Feast of God. And there's proof of that um, Pesach, which is Passover. Passover is coming up in April now. Um, that's in Matthew 26. It tells us how he celebrated Passover. He celebrated Sukkot, which is the, the festival of uh, tabernacles in John 7, verse 2. Hanukkah in John 10, verse 22, and so forth. Yeshua even dressed according to the Torah. Now, this is an interesting one. I've got I to demonstrate this to you. Is that okay? All right. Just give me a second. I'm just... There we go. So this is a, a prayer shawl or a talit. So I'm going to go through this in a minute. So I just want to show you what Jesus did. Matthew 9 verse 20. Just then, a woman losing blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the tzitzit of his garment. Now, uh, in the English translation, it says the fringes of, the garment, of his garment. Now, on the corners of this garment, the talit, you have these fringes. they called tzitzit. Everybody says tzitzit. <laughs> they are tzitzit. So the woman who, who struggled with the, losing blood, she touched the tzitzit on Jesus' garment, on his um, talit. So why was Jesus wearing the talit in the first place? Let's, let's see what Numbers 15 verse 38 says, Speak to the house of Israel, say to them that they are to make for themselves tzitzit on the corners of the garment throughout their generations. And they are to put a blue cord on each tzitzit. So each tzitzit has to have a blue cord. This one doesn't, but there's a reason. Um... So it says throughout the generations, it will be your own tzitzit. So everyone should have that. So whenever you look at them, the tzitzit, so you look at them, you will remember all the mitzvot, all the commandments of God and do them and not go spying after all, after your own heart's desire and your own eyes and prostituting yourself. So today we, we think, you know, by the way, you'll see Jews wearing, um, there's two types of talits. This is a big talit, so it's talit gadol. And you get a talit katan, which is a small one, which they wear underneath their clothes. And you just see the tzitzit hanging out from underneath their clothes. Now, today, we as Christians go, and we're not familiar with this. We go, oh, that's a bit ridiculous to wear that, to be reminded of the commandments of God. Why would you do that? But we do not realize how many reminders there are in the world that remind us of all the evil and all the lusts of the world. Every day we get bombarded by reminders of what the world wants us to be reminded of. So, Rabbi Mi'er 
lived many, many years ago, about, I think, 1,600 years ago. He says, why specifically blue? So there was this commandment that there should be a blue cord in the tzitzit. So he says, why specifically blue? The, the specific blue is called techelet. It's a light blue. And he says, um, why is it not any other color? Because blue resembles the color of the sea. And the sea resembles the color of the sky. And the sky resembles the, the, the color of sapphire. And sapphire resembles the color of the throne of glory. Like in Ezekiel, that's where he gets it from. Techelet, the blue color in the tzitzit, and the tzitzit itself, actually, is a reminder to connect with God, to connect with the throne of God. Now, the woman who struggled with the issue of blood, she was totally disconnected from God. She was deemed unclean. She was not allowed to go to the temple to worship for 12 years. That is, she was totally pushed out. She could not connect with God. And she was desperate. After 12 years, nobody could heal her. She went to many doctors and nothing helped. So she was so desperate. She just said, I don't care what these people think. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to grab that tzitzit and I'm going to hold on for dear life. And when she touched the tzitzit of Jesus, she was reconnected with her throne, with the throne of God. And as she got reconnected, power flowed from the throne of God through Jesus into her, and she got healed. That's how it worked. Now, you might sit here today, and you might feel a bit disconnected from God today. Um, we go through periods like that. And sometimes... We just need to reconnect with God. Now, I want to send this. This is a tzitzit. It's got the blue cord in. I want to send this around. I want you to just have a look at it. And as you look at it and touch it, just imagine what that woman would have experienced when she touched the tzitzit of God and God of Jesus and got reconnected with God. Just pass that on. Now, I just want to tell you that there's nothing magical or in that tzitzit. The power is not in the tzitzit. Um, it simply reminds us of the commandments of God. It's like a power switch. So if we, if we connect with God, the power switch goes on and the power flows. And that's when healing and restoration and salvation flows. So how connected are you with God today? Just examine your heart. And, you know, as you touch that tzitzit, just, just talk to God and just say to him, Lord, I want to be really fully connected to you. Today, today is your day to be reconnected to God. So Yeshua on earth was a Jew practicing biblical Judaism, as you could see. Now, in, as part of biblical Judaism, there was this huge messianic expectation. We very often think it's a Christian thing, but in the second temple period, and, and the, at the time, even before, you know, the second temple period started way before Jesus came, so there was a huge expectation 
for the Messiah to arrive. Now Luke 2 verse 25 says, Simeon was a just, a tzaddik, a righteous man, a devout man living according to the Torah. He had an expectation that he will see the Messiah of God before he dies. And he's the man who, who held baby Jesus in his arms and said, Now my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Now Simeon, Simon, Simon, Shimon is the Hebrew. It comes from the Hebrew word Shema, which means to listen and obey. Um, he was a righteous man. He wasn't, listen to this. You've got to get your head around this. He wasn't righteous because he lived according to the Torah. He lived according to the Torah because he was righteous. There's this distinction that we have to make. Then um, Luke 3 verse 15 says, Now the people, this is a few years after that incident, now Yeshua has grown up. Now the people were filled with expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John, whether he might be the Messiah. So you see how great this expectation was. It, it was purely a Jewish expectation. You know, Christianity wasn't even in sight in those days. Now, I just, I'm telling you this so that we can reconnect with our Jewish roots. Not to make us Jewish, but to know, to make, it makes us grafted into our Jewish roots. Now, this brings me to being grafted in, which is a super exciting uh, subject. And Rabbi Shaul, Paul, the apostle, in Hebrew is Shaul, um, he comes up with this idea of being grafted in. And I was wondering, where does he get this from? Because everything he preached on comes from, you know, obviously the Torah or the prophets or somewhere in the writings. But in Romans 11 verse 17, he says, We were grafted in among them, talking about the Jews, and became a partaker of the root of the olive tree with its richness. See, if we are not grafted in, we lose contact with that richness that comes from the olive tree. Kathleen, I'm going to give you this talit. If you can just grab that. There we go. Thank you. So, where does he get this idea, of, uh, idea from, of, for, for, of being grafted in? He gets it from Genesis 12, verse 3. It says, in Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, where's the grafted in, you might ask? That blessed, the word blessed is nivrechu. Now, Rabbi Eliezer ben Shamua, he was an influential sage in the time of, of Paul, the apostle. And he related that word nivrechu to a different verb, Mavrich, which means grafted. So he was teaching on being grafted in. And obviously Paul, uh, he, he was a very educated Pharisee. And he knew all the sages of his time. So he would have known about this teaching. So he was also teaching it. And in Ephesians 2 verse 12, listen to this. This is incredible. He says, you, the Gentiles in Ephesians, uh, if, he says, you were separate separate from Messiah, excluded from citizenship of, in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant and the promises, without hope and without God in the, in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. 
How good is that? You know, to be, it is such a blessing to be grafted in. That means we are connected to the olive tree with all its richness. And we can now say we are citizens of the spiritual Israel. We are, we are no more foreigners to the covenant. We are part of the covenant. Without being grafted in, we cannot say that we're part of the covenant or the promises. But now we are. Now, Yeshua was a Torah teacher. We're still looking at the life of Yeshua and what he did to understand him better so we can understand our covenant, where this comes from. 10% of all the words of of Jesus in the Gospels comes directly from the Torah. And the rest is pretty much commentary on that. So he was a Torah teacher. So we're going to look at Matthew 5, verse 17 to 19, and we're going to look at this verse a little bit. Do you think, uh, it says, do not think that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or throne or stroke, different translations, shall ever pass away from the Torah until all things come to pass. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teach others the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them the least of the commandments this one shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to go to that slide with the, with the Hebrew words, uh, letters. So, can, this is not the full alphabet, but can you see the smallest letter there? Yod, yes. Now, can you see the little um, strokes on top of some of the letters? Like the tet at the end there has got three little strokes or it's actually called um, kots which means a thorn so if you look carefully it's got a crown of thorns interesting eh? so he says not even that little not even that little thorn on the top will disappear from the torah now how on earth is some people convinced that the torah has has no more relevance to us he says not even that little not even that little thing will disappear. Now, some might say, if we go to verse 19 of that verse, um, I don't know if we can go back yet. There we go. So verse 19, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teach others to do the same, they shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So some people might go, yeah, but I'm, I'm so humble. I'll, I'm okay to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if that's the case, all you have to do, it's easy. You take all the commandments that you think are the least, break them, and then get, a, get people together, build a Bible study, and call it the CBB, Command Breaking Bible Study. And you teach others to break these commandments too. And you'll be called the least. Easy. But if you want to become the great or be called the greatest then you have to take all these least commandments the least of them keep them and teach others to do the same why does jesus say that because if you're faithful in the little things he can trust you with big things he did he did a whole teaching on that so now 
which ones are the greatest commandments and which ones are the least? That's interesting. Let's have a look at that. The greatest commandments, I think we, the commandment, I think we all know that. Mark 12, verse 28 to 34, it says, One of the Torah scholars, now remember, Jesus was a Torah scholar. One of the Torah scholars came and heard them debating. Now in those days, debating um, to us sound, might sound like, oh, it's a bit fierce because it's very passionate. They they are in there and they asking questions and this one answering questions. And he said, no, that's rubbish. And he goes, and it's, they go at each other. And it sounds, for us, it would sound like fighting. But to them, it's a good Bible study. That's all. And so this Torah scholar is walking past. He hears this good debate going on and he says, yes, I'm in. And he's in there and he's seeing that Yeshua had answered them well. He asked him, which commandment is first of all? And Yeshua answered, the first is... Shema Israel, I'm going to say it in Hebrew, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. It means, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second to this is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, this is called... The Shema. Shema means to listen and obey, the Hebrew word there. And it has become a prayer that the Jews today pray, and no, not today, but for ages, millennials, have been praying the Shema every morning and every night. Because in Deuteronomy 6, it says, you should do this when you get up and do it when you lie down. So, Let's look at the least of the commandments. Who know the, which one's the least of the commandments? There's 613. Take a pick. Right. So I thought maybe this one. Deuteronomy 23. You shall also have a place outside the camp to which you may go, and you shall have a spade among your tools. And when you sit down outside to relieve yourself... You shall dig a hole with it and shall turn it and cover up your excrement. <laughs> yeah, I th but I thought that, that might be the least one. But the sages, now sages are rabbis who are really wise and has lots of life experience. They said, be careful with a light mitzvah, which is a commandment. Be careful with, in regards to a light mitzvah as to a heavy one, as you do not know the assigned reward of that command. Now, let's look at the reward for this command to, you know, use the spade and dig your hole. Um, it says, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to rescue you and to defeat your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy, undefiled, and he must not see anything indecent among you, or he will turn away from you. That's pretty serious. So even though that could be a, a sort of a least of the commandments, it's got a very serious um, reward or consequence. So because of that, I am doing the doggy duty with a, with a passion. <laughs> I'm not going to leave any doggy poo on my lawn now. I'm picking it all up. I'm even cleaning the toilet. Um, 
Andrew, I love your story about the, uh, you know, previously before, you know, you told the story about how you had to clean toilets. <laughs> that's, that's so good. Um, now, this was not the least of the commandments. The least of the commandments actually called Shiluah HaKen, which means sending away the mother bird. Have you heard of that one? Deuteronomy 22, verse 6 to 7. It says, if you happen to come upon a bird's nest upon the way, in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs, and the mother is sitting on the young or, or, or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall certainly let, let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself. And then comes the reward. This is the least. Remember, this is the least of the commandments, according to the rabbis. And the reward for this one is incredible. In order that it may be well with you and that you prolong your days. So if you don't do this, your days will just be shortened. But it is very, very important. So the, the conclusion we can draw from that, even the least of the commandments, are super important. It's, you can't really call them least of the commandments. Let's go to Matthew 5, verse 20. Um, Yeshua says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the Torah scholars, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that is, that is just crazy. Um, that is just a very crazy idea. Because remember, these guys were super educated. And to be better than them, how on earth are we going to... How on earth am I going to beat that? But God is not interested in what you do. He's interested in your heart's intent. So he is, he is looking at, at the love with which you do that. We've got to do it with love. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2 says, If you have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if you have all the faith and as to remove mountains but have not love, you are nothing. It's like, when you, it's like writing a love letter to God with a pen, but that pen has no ink in it. So you write this letter and you, you proudly hand it over to God and God takes the letter and he, you just see God coming up with this frown on his face and he and he goes but there's nothing on it Romans 13 verse 10 says love is the fulfillment of the Torah so without love you cannot even do anything so a lot of these Pharisees were looking and doing the Torah to be seen by other people wrong heart intent that's how we can be better than and do better than them so, you know, when, when somebody is in love, he, he doesn't care why, like with my wife, why she wants the tea in a certain way, why I should, you know, heat up the milk and pour it in from a certain distance and get it exactly right. You just do it because you want to bless her, you know. So that's, that's how I want to approach God. He gives me a commandment and I just want to bless him. I don't do it because anybody else. So I don't 
Don't call me legalistic. Call me in love with God. Now, then Yeshua spoke. I'm going to go to this verse. Um, hang on. Matthew 23, verse 1 to 5. Do we have it up there? Can't remember. But then Yeshua spoke to the crowds and his disciples, saying, The Torah scholars and the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses. And we've got a photo there of a seat of Moses. So whatever they tell you, do and observe but do not do as they do, for the, what, they, what they say they do not do, as their works, all their works they do to be noticed by men. Now Yeshua is saying the same as what, all the, what is written in the Torah. So that, by the way, is a, is a seat of Moses. The Pharisees or scholars, Torah scholars would be sitting on that teaching the Torah. Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's encouraging them to listen to what these guys are teaching them. So he's exactly saying what the Torah is saying. So in, in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 to 13, he says, And now, O Israel, what does Adonai your God require of you but to fear Adonai your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep his commandments and his statutes that I am commanding you today for your own good. Now, someone will say, someone always will say, but you are not saved by doing the commandments. And I'll say, yes, you're absolutely right. You're saved by faith alone. We, we do not keep the Torah or the commandments to be saved. We keep the Torah because we are saved. Big difference. See, I was saved when I was 13 years old, and uh, I knew nothing about Torah. I didn't, it's only later on, much, much later on, that I started to align my life with the commandments of God. That came much later. But I was totally saved when I was 13 years old. I had a relationship with God. There was absolutely. So it's not dependent on the commandments whether you're saved or not. Now, are you ready today to, to lay everything down and make God the center of your life? You know, in, in our faith, it's all about Him. It's, it, it should be all about Him. It's about blessing Him, not blessing ourselves. The Shema, that biggest commandment, says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That, that means He's the only one that matters. He is the center of our focus. Let that be true in our lives today. Let's reconnect with God. Let's make Him the center of our lives. Amen. Come on, perhaps you just bow your heads where you are. Maybe for some of you, you need to reconnect.
maybe that first love. I think too often we just go through life. We just exist. And God is out there somewhere. We give him a bit of thought on a Sunday. But is he your everything? Are you committed to him wholeheartedly? With all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. time where we need to see some we need to see the people of God start to rise up start to stand up and begin to press in to him toward him towards the things that he's got for us we need to get our lives back on track we need to start to take the word of God seriously those things that you you were once involved in, doing, passionate about, you need to pick some of that back up. Because this world requires that the body of Christ stand and stand tall and stand strong. I shared with the team praying earlier that in April, when it's supposed to be Passover, where there is a satanic conference that will now be held and it is sold out which means people are prepared to go to a satanic conference. And we're finding that those same people should be in this room right now hearing the Word of God, allowing that to change them and wash them and clean them, help them draw near to Him. And the body of Christ is going to have to stand strong because they are open that their agenda is abortion. They want to kill and to take the next generation. And, and I said earlier, maybe you've got kids and you think, well, I kind of missed that. Thank goodness I didn't go through that. Well, they're after your kids' kids, your grandkids. They're the ones that will suffer. And either the body of Christ stands up and makes a decision and starts to push into God and say, we are going to be set apart. We're going to be a holy people. We're going to stand for righteousness. We're going to stand against this nonsense. We're going to stand for the agenda of God, not bow our knee to the agenda that is in this world. And when the body of Christ begins to stand up, I'm willing to bet everything, says there are some young people, some teenagers who will start to take the things of God more seriously because they will see a people with purpose, not just a washed out church that just gathers together gather every Sunday, but does nothing about it in the week. And I want to suggest to you that if we don't stand up, we will be partnering with the cause that will end a generation. And I'm asking that we begin to get a people that will get on their knees again and pray again and press toward God because I don't want to watch the next generation wither away because we never had the guts to say yes to Jesus. So while your head is bowed, I want to ask you this question. What has happened? Have you drifted? And is tonight the night you come back?
or maybe you've never made a decision, a genuine decision, and you realize if I don't make this decision, my life is going to end in turmoil. And you're right where you're sitting. You realize I need to come back to God or I need to make a decision right here in this place. I'm asking that there would be some passionate people who would rise up now. I want to see the next generation go further than we ever could. I want to see them do great and mighty exploits. I'll do whatever it takes to see that happen. I'll, I'll give everything, do anything, whatever it takes, I'll see them. If that's you, are you ready to make your decision? Thanks for being with us. We hope this message leaves you stirred to a place of action. If you made a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, need more resources or want to take your next step, linkthechurch.org has everything you need. Until next time, from everyone at The Link Church, God bless.